Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Donnie Brooke. And I am El Omagato. Welcome to episode 205, Great American Bash, 1996. World Champion Wrestling turns up the heat. Sizzle. Burn. <laughs> hey. Let's see if they let's see if they uh, are true to their word. Turn it up, pump up the jam, turn up the heat. Let's get Gabby with it. Grill me a dog. Something. Burr. It's cold outside. <laughs> so hopefully WCW can warm our wrestling hearts. Exactly. Uh, melt my ice cold soul. <laughs> <laughs> so this was the sixth edition of Great American Bash, produced by WCW, but the tenth overall as it was a JCP product to begin with. It would take place on June 16th, 1996, from the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland, with an attendance of 9,000 people. Hmm. Good number for WCW. Not too shabby for a Gabby. (laughs) I mean, this is like, you know, the Great American Bash's, like, stomping grounds. Yes. Yeah, it was like the fourth time in fourth year in a row or something like that that they had been in Baltimore. Baltimore. Man, it's a way to way to you know can continue a house unless your product really goes down the shitter unless nobody's watching anymore. Yeah. But we are in Baltimore. That we are. Shane, did you do what you do? Well, I did do what I did. Do what I do. I did what I do. That's what I did. That's what it is. I was like, what is this? What is this catchphrase? <laughs> oh, my mouth is all happy. Words are hard to form at the moment. Yeah. We're in Baltimore. And, I don't know, Baltimore, anything East Coast, I always, it's like, I want pasta and meat sauce or I want seafood, seafood, seafood. And only time I've ever been in Baltimore, it was seafood, seafood, seafood. And I'd love to, to do that again. But here we are in Oklahoma City, where seafood isn't always the most glamorous choice that you can uh, find, or option you can find. But thankfully, we do have a, a couple of great places that uh, specialize in the seafood, keeping it fresh, keeping it delicious. And uh, we've been there before for uh, for some snacks on the show, and figured why the hell not? We're we're in Baltimore. We need some East Coast seafood love, and there is no place in town. That can do the the East Coast seafood quite like our friends over at Rococo on Western. Bruce and and, and the the people over there are fantastic at what they do. I brought a couple different varieties of scallops, bay scallops to be exact. Bay scallops are from the uh, the Chesapeake Bay area, which is near Baltimore, I think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was better with capitals and stuff, but you know, <laughs> landmarks and, and bodies of water and whatnot, I don't specialize in. But yeah, Rococo, I got the uh, baked base scallops au gratin. That's base scallops, garlic, sherry, gouda, gruyere, and breadcrumbs. Just a, a tasty, toasty little appetizer, nice and creamy, cheesy, delicious. 
but I figured it's a bash, so we need more than one, uh, more than one type of scallop. So I went with a base scallop and mushroom risotto, which uh, obviously has scallops, mushrooms, parmesan, some uh, stock, a little onion, some toasted garlic. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, everything was great. Very garlicky, but I mean, who's yeah. complaining about that? Exactly. It just made me wish Not I had a, a glass yeah. of wine or something to wash it down with. I but... could probably see my breath, but that's fine. We, <laughs> we, we get our distance here. Yeah. It's all right. It's worth it. We all eat the same thing. It's yeah. Not like we're. It's not like I could tell if it was you or me. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Rococo is is some awesomeness. We've got uh, some some great, pretty great options for seafood here in Oklahoma City. With it's not just catfish. Yes, not catfish. We got those. Everything isn't just bread and fried. Catfish. There's definitely catfish, <laughs> but there are definitely more options than that. Yeah. That's the the fish that's the our only indigenous fish. It's still not indigenous. Somebody done just didn't dropped them in some ponds. Oh, if you go to Rococo, I suggest trying their little cookie appetizers. It's not what you think. It's more like a uh, a loaded piece of toast or a little crostini with there's there's a, a few different options. A smoked salmon one. I think there's a blue cheese one and one that's like a I don't know, it's like a meat lover's pizza on a, a little crostini. Yeah, I haven't been there in forever, but this makes me want to uh, change that. Big fan of their crab cake. Yep. It's probably the best crab cake I've ever had. And it's a big ass crab cake. And it's in Oklahoma, so... Like the crab cake the size of a bagel? Yeah, it's... Pretty much. (laughs) Sounds pretty It is definitely an appetizer for two to four people or a meal for one. Yeah, it's like you're not eating the whole crab cake and and a meal. Their love salad is good. Their spaghetti and meatballs is good. Their linguine and clams. Yeah. As you can tell, we can't talk <laughs> highly enough at this place. It's So if you're ever in Oklahoma, definitely check out Rococo's. But something that would happen right around the same time as Great American Bash, a couple movies. Eraser and The Hunchback of Notre Dame would hit theaters the very next weekend. I didn't realize Hunchback was... 96 because like hercules was the last really big animated like hand animated from like you know 89 to basically like that decade of disney being on top i feel like this is the one that never crosses my mind even though i saw it in the theater as a kid but i never think about the hunchback in notre dame movie yep i remember going to see this one in the theater i thought it was good i'm sure it's good i'm sure it's much attention as as some of the others did. I mean, it's hard to top like Aladdin, yeah. Little Mermaid, and Lion King. I don't think the it's also a year after Toy Story team was the same. No, no, it didn't have the the catchy soundtrack that the majority of the uh, Disney movies at the time did. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the, I think that was probably the biggest thing. Yeah, I know one of the guys that wrote a lot of those songs in those big late '80s, early '90s movies. But like, I think he died young, but. It, one of the guys that's more responsible for, for the for the hits. Is this one had? I'm trying to remember who the cast was. Was it Demi Moore? Demi Moore and Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander. That's who it was. Oh really? Was James Woods in this one? No, he's Hades in Hunchback. Or not Hunchback of in Hercules. In Hercules. Hercules. Okay. Kevin Klein was. Uh, okay. Yeah, Kevin Klein. Love Kevin Klein. Love Kevin Klein more than James Woods. Sure. I mean, James Woods. I don't want to. I'd much rather get a cup of coffee with uh, 
with uh, Kevin Klein, but uh, James Wood is unfor- uh, like is a great actor. Kevin Klein's married to Phoebe Cates, if I remember right. So yeah, definitely uh-huh. Kevin Klein. Their daughter is like an indie rock musician. Really? Uh-huh. I saw her once with a friend. There was like there was a fan. I remember it was pretty good, but I had not super familiar with it I can't remember the name of the project though but I remember being like oh that's weird that that's her parents it's not that weird talented people sometimes have talented children now I gotta look up more about Hunchback because it's been forever since I've seen it well so the music for like Aladdin Lion King was Tim Minkin and or Tim Rice and Alan Minkin had their names backwards but Tim Rice did not work on Hunchback Hmm. I, I can't think of one tune from Hunchback, but I probably didn't watch it a lot. Whereas those other movies, you know, I was a little younger and they were bigger hits and, you know, were VHS staples. Let's see. What are some songs from Hunchback? Because, yeah, I don't really remember either. Probably something about a bell. <laughs> it's probably a song about ringing a big old bell. David Ockman Stires was in it? Okay. It's not a song, but... It's good to know. Eraser, I think I've only ever caught on HBO. That Doesn't that one have like a science fiction gun in it? Yeah, it has the <laughs> crazy like rail gun. Yeah, because I remember always catching parts of it on cable as a kid and being like, damn, I need to see this movie. Is Eraser good? Is it, it's towards the, obviously, towards the end of like the Schwarzenegger. It was, but, like, it was good for 96, run. but it wasn't. Anything I think that holds up. I mean, it's not Terminator Two, but nothing's no. Terminator Two. No. Yeah, it's it's not great, but it made quite a bit of money at the box office, but and on rentals because I remember it being a hit at Blockbuster. But who's the lady in it? Vanessa Williams. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. I just remember there being like a, some crazy gun in it, and I, that's the only thing I really remember, and that always intrigued me. But I never went back and watched it. And I love Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, but I typically stick to the classics. The only song... I don't know if Erasers... Erasers, what, C tier? Or is it, you know, B tier? Schwarzenegger. Uh... B minus C. Yeah, yeah. Say somewhere, <laughs> it's probably riding the line. Like, it's not, you know, it's not. Oh, hey, there goes my phone. Not the worst. Now you but, know my ringtone. Yeah, not the worst, but if it's we also. Keep that part. <laughs> but it's also not, you know, uh, Running Man or. Running Man was great. Running Man rules. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not. It yeah. can't be Running Man good. Otherwise, I would have seen it. It's. I, w- I was going to say it's up there with Junior, but I really like Junior, actually. <laughs> it's much better I, than. I, I, junior is much better than. <laughs> You think so? I think Junior is better. Yeah, than that. that's funny. I've always I remember watching Junior as a kid, but I don't have. What was that I, one? I, I haven't been an adult. Last Action and Hero or something like that. People hate that movie. <laughs> I couldn't stand. But that movie. I I loved that movie as a kid and watched it all the time. And I haven't rewatched it, but I know I always thought it was weird that people like hated it. I was like, what's the hate about this? But I was a kid, some you just don't really think. There's so many movies I saw as a kid. I didn't realize they were like bombs at the time because you don't pay I mean, attention I to stuff I saw it like as a kid and I like literally came out of the theater and went, that was not good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember really liking it. Is Tom Noonan in that? Uh, I have no clue. <laughs> okay. These, you, Tom Noonan's got a very particular face. He's a big, tall guy. The name a, sounds funny. With a, with a up. weird egg-shaped head. Yes, he is. Okay, yeah, it's like he's kind of one of those guys that... I don't even know why I know his name, but he's, uh, I think he's, he's in one of the Hannibal Lecter movies. 
he's either in Silence of the Lambs or he's in uh, the Michael Mann one, Manhunter. I think he might be in Manhunter. I mean, the concept of Last Action Hero is a good one. Like, I can see how it would work, but it just didn't. I think that's all a movie needed for me as a kid when I was little is like, oh, if the if I if, if I like the concept, movie, right? I'm totally into it. No. Shane Black. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? That's cool. He wrote the screenplay. I'm surprised it hasn't been remade yet. I'd probably make a better version of it now. But who would you? But no, no, they wouldn't because then the Rock would be in it. The Rock is way play, less cool than some people basically played so themselves. Still out there. He's still capable. <laughs> He's got a son in that movie. It was like, it was having people play exaggerated versions of themselves in the film. It so it just like it didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's more common now. So it might work better. I mean, the movie also was filming the week before it debuted. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, it was probably a little, a little sloppy in there. Wow. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to do an eraser. Last Action Hero double feature. <laughs> <laughs> going back, back to Hunchback of Notre Dame, the only song that I recognize on the list of songs was one called Topsy Turvy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Couldn't tell you anything about. It. Yeah, I don't Topsy think topsy turvy. Everything is going crazy, or something like that. Yeah, the, yeah, sounds real catchy, Shane. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> great. Well, let's find out if WCW can be catchy. Oh yeah, wrestling. Did you guys see the poster for this show? Uh, it's a really great poster. I did not look it up. It's like Mean Gene with like a giant plate of ground beef that's like in the WCW logo, and Bobby Heenan like grilling up burgers and dogs on like a seven foot flame it's a great summer great summer vibes Ooh. <laughs> i had a i had a good time when i saw that one i almost look at that again yeah that's great that's fun damn it why didn't i make w there's not even a, there's no wrestler on it at all that's how great mean gene and bobby are it's like yeah oh, everybody knows who these guys are see had i seen this poster beforehand i would have made wcw shape burgers for us it's all good. This is probably better. We've all eaten enough <laughs> cheeseburgers in our life. True. True. <laughs> not saying, not saying you can't make a, a great much, cheeseburger. Coco's was a much better decision on that one. Yep. Damn. I could have at least arranged it on the plate in a WCW <laughs> shape. <laughs> Sorry. I'll let you know next time that we've, there's a really great poster ahead of time. So we open up as all the major players from the show give comments. We see Coach Bobby Heenan swear he's not scared of Savage. But he stumbles over his words in trying to convince everyone it's true. And then Coach Macho Man fires up his team, while Flair says they're taking no prisoners. Luger says he's still standing and plans on walking away with the title. But the Giant responds by telling Lex not to look up the definition of Giant, because he's going to feel it firsthand. And the Giant finishes by choking himself and laughing. We then get the logo before being welcomed to the show by Tony Schiavone, along with Dusty Rhodes for commentary. The national anthem is then played while Sergeant Craig Pittman holds the flag. We also see a shot of a savage doppelganger in the crowd. Who doesn't want to dress like Randy Savage? Mm -hmm. Pretty good cosplay of Savage. Tony and the Dream then discuss the show with Rhodes saying he feels certain things about Luger. Makes him feel some... Type away, as they'd say today. <laughs> yeah. I hate that saying so much. Before moving on to the outsiders and then the passing of Dick Murdoch, who had passed away the week before the show. Oh. 
R.I.P. Dick. That's right. Mm-hmm. But we go to our first match. Fire and Ice. Of Scott Norton and Ice Train versus the Steiner Brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner. And it is announced that a, there must be a winner. As Shivani explains that these two have had some non-finishes on TV. But that's, it's funny because that's essentially the rules in most wrestling now. Where it's like, yeah, they've been outside for a long time. But we gotta have a winner. I'm looking at you, New Japan and AEW <laughs> specifically. Uh, I'll bend WWE for what as, as well, but sometimes they'll do it for an angle. But I'd like to see more rules yes. in wrestling. But this is funny because it's like that's basically every match now. Is it? It's like, well, yeah, we just gotta have a winner. So both teams trade takedowns when Scott hip tosses both fire and ice. Followed by Rick joining in for them to both deliver clotheslines that send Norton and Ice Train out to the floor to regroup. Once everything settles down, Fire and Rick trade chops, clotheslines, and suplexes, with Scott coming in to nail a drop kick, only to take a Samoan drop and appearing to hurt his shoulder. Fire and Ice capitalize with more suplexes for a two count, followed by a corner splash until Scott answers with a boot to the face on a charging ice train before firing up with a belly-to-belly suplex. I'm really loving seeing big boys doing things. I feel like it's been a while since we just... Four big guys that can work, keyword, yes. uh, just tossing each other around. And God's mullet is at that perfectly sweet, <laughs> best it's ever been length. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he hit his mullet sweet spot. Hitting that you know mid back area, the the Scott Steiner that I know and used love. to know and love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pre pump. <laughs> Not too far away. Norton's tagged in, only to be dumped on his head with a T bone suplex, causing him to roll out to the floor. And Scott comes off the apron with a double axe handle before rolling fire back into the ring, followed by climbing to the top rope, leaping off only for Norton to catch him and nail a power slam for a near fall. Fire and Ice begin to wear down Scott with holds, including a Canadian backbreaker into a shoulder breaker by Norton, transitioning into an arm lock that brings Rick in to kick fire in the head several times, but Norton just won't let go. Fire then goes for another Canadian backbreaker into a shoulder breaker with Rick making the blind tag as Scott was up in the air. And he comes in to clean house with Steiner lines and suplexes. Everyone just starts brawling when Ice Train dumps Scott to the floor. Attacks Rick from behind, allowing Fire and Ice to hit a powerbomb diving splash combo for a two count. Fire then throws Scott out to the floor again, allowing Ice and Norton to try for a doomsday device. But Scott trips up Ice Train, causing him to crotch himself on the top rope. Scott then kicks fire, followed by Rick delivering a DDT. But Ice recovers enough to come off with a double axe handle to Rick. The Steiners then hit a Steinerizer, with Scott making the cover. Only for Ice Train to make the save. And everyone just goes back brawling again when Scott nails a Frankensteiner on Norton and makes the cover for the pin and and the the win. win while Ice also delivers a clothesline to Rick and makes a cover at the same time. 
but it's not what's counted because they're not the legal guys. <laughs> they got excited. Aw, look yeah. at Rick not being the dumbest guy in the ring. It's a great first match for a show. Big boys doing big boy things. Bummer about that Frankensteiner, though, because it was not much of a Frankensteiner. Nope. Not the one you want in the match on, but hey. Big boys doing big boy stuff. Sometimes they might be too big to be doing it. Yeah, it might be a little, might be a little winded after all those uh, <laughs> suplexes and uh, top rope maneuvers. Or who who did he cover? He covered, did he cover Ice Train. Scott covered Norton. Oh, Norton. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say maybe uh, he was still reeling from crushing his cubes. Mean Jeans in the locker room, and he welcomes in Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster. Oakland calls Jimmy a Nathan Lane wannabe. Sir, that is offensive to all Nathan Lane fans. (laughs) But but, but, he doesn't have anything in common with Nathan Lane. No clue where this comment came from. Yeah, I'm trying to think of that too. I was just like... Was it just kind of like a bad gay joke? Did the birdcage just come out? I'm wondering, yeah, birdcage came out not too long before this. Yeah, Jimmy Hart is musical, but not the same way that Nathan Lane is. Like... Jimmy Hart writes yeah. music. I don't think he has probably a wonderful voice or Maybe anything. He's trying to tell Jimmy that he needs a parent tablet or something. <laughs> and Hart says the dungeon doesn't need the horseman or anybody. But, you know, they sure did when they were trying to get rid of the Hulkster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to put together a whole 17-man group or whatever it was. Taskmaster then corrects Jimmy's earlier statement, saying that, that this isn't about the dungeon versus the horseman. It's between Sullivan, Flair, and Anderson. Sounds like it's... <laughs> so happen to be Horseman. <laughs> Sounds pretty Dungeon versus Horseman to me. Yeah. Taskmaster takes credit for running Pillman out of the company and promises to do the same to Benoit, continuing with that Chris isn't Horseman material. Sullivan claims he will drag Benoit through the building for Arn Anderson and will prove to the Horseman that they can rely on him. He also says he's going to lay something on Chris. The same thing he laid on Pillman. Mm-hmm. That's just a scary thought. I don't, I don't want to know what you laid on either <laughs> one of them. Huh. You're going to make him say... Maybe a turd of a promo? you, Booker Man. Yeah. But the best part about this entire promo is that the Taskmaster spent the entire time looking at the wrong camera. <laughs> or maybe he used Luger's teleprompter from a few shows ago. But we go to our second match, El Gato versus Conan for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Now, El Gato is Pat Tanaka in a rip-off Black Tiger mask. That makes me very happy to know because that's who I thought that was, but I couldn't tell for sure. For yeah, sure. I had no clue. I was like, Matt will, Matt will tell me if I need to know. <laughs> and the last time we saw him was at the night the line was crossed. Episode 111. Long time ago. And this is a funny little thing for me, but El Gato is announced to be hailing from Mexico. But it's by a guy who used to be from Japan, but is actually from Hawaii. So he was born in Japan, but grew no, up in he was born in... Oh. Shoot, Pat Tanaka was born in Hawaii. Mm. Pat Tanaka has always been... Build. build from Japan, yeah, because he's and now he's El Gato, Express, and he's man. claimed from Mexico. <laughs> so yeah, he's just like got Japanese heritage, but is like yeah. a, a you know an Part, American. Parts unknown just wouldn't sound right for El Gato. <laughs> no, he's, he's from he's from a um, from a dark alley. <laughs> yeah. 
from a litter box behind your house. <laughs> the two men trade arm and drag legs to start before Conan gets caught on a charge and is set on the turnbuckles, only to yank Gatto down to the mat, followed by a clothesline and an arm lock. El Gato fires back with kicks and chops, tries for a crucifix pin, but Conan doesn't roll over, so he transitions it into a submission that Tony calls a hurting submission hold with leverage. <laughs> a hurting? Yeah. A hurting submission hold. Huh. All right. Are there, well, I, mean, I mean, maybe there are non-hurting submission holds. But it was a botch in the match. Yeah. Like Conan just didn't roll over on the crucifix, and so it was like, uh, "Cover for it! Cover for it! What do I do? What do I do?" Uh, it's a hurting submission hold. Yeah, that's. You say what a maneuver! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> of all the times not to pull that one out. <laughs> that's that's the time to do it. Conan sent to the ropes and returns with a hurricanrana attempt. Only for Gatto to catch and drop him with a powerbomb for a two count. Oh my Gatto. Both men trade submissions with Dusty comparing it to a spider web, arms sticking out everywhere and not knowing whose leg he's looking at. They break free for Conan to toss El Gatto into a corner, where he follows with a face plant for a two count before hitting a rolling clothesline. Gatto then yanks Conan through the ropes where he follows out with a baseball slide that is avoided, allowing Conan to get back in the ring, where he takes El Gato back down to the concrete with a sunset flip bomb off the apron. Big old nasty thud, and the crowd is into it. They get a good pop for that. I know it's kind of silly, but the rolling clothesline, kind of like it. Yeah. I, it's I like, like I don't understand rolling. why that makes it stronger, but it, it looks cool, and sometimes that takes it out of me, but it's... You know, we've got some, some lucha guys here. It's kind of like a, of... it's kind of like a discus lariat. You're just turning it around to give the lariat. Like, yeah, but it's that little extra bit mm-hmm. that gives gives the lariat. They return to the ring where Conan catches Gato trying to leap up and over his charging opponent, where he nails an Alabama slam and makes a jackknife cover for the pin and, and the, the win. win. The deep bridge. It was a nice match. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. We go to the back, Mean Gene's there with Sting. And Oakland says that Lord Steven Regal is a bit of a sissy. Whoa, 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 whoa. But looks can be deceiving. So the Stinger accuses Gene of stirring things up, only for Sting to just kind of finally agree. The Stinger continues by making fun of Regal drinking tea with his pinky sticking out, asking if that's how they breed boys in England. Pushing it down like the scene in the birdcage. <laughs> That's definitely not the American way. Sting then forgets his lines and tries to play it off like he was going to say something too controversial. Mm-hmm. And Mean Gene tries to save Lord Stevens' reputation, even expressing regret for his earlier comments. But then the Stinger promises to straighten out Regal. Yeah, what the fuck is going on with Sting and his promo? He's just doing a gay panic promo against I Stephen Regal for being so. British. He's just he's just British. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not. He's not. He's not doing like gold dust stuff. It's kind of funny. Sting doing the really bad accent though, kind of makes it all worth it. <laughs> oh my goodness, Sting! He's not. He's never been the strongest promo, guys. So we go our third match: Diamond Dallas Page. Versus Marcus Alexander Bagwell for the Battle Bull Ring. Huh. 
And Shivani and Rhodes try to do some damage control during the entrances for the previous interview segment. (laughs) DDP grabs the mic to tell all the Baltimore bimbos to forget all about Carl Ripken when Paige is in town. And Tony immediately corrects him, saying that it's Cal Ripken, the true Iron Man of baseball. Yeah, like I feel like everybody knows who that is, whether they like baseball or not, because he's... He's, I assume he still was the attendance record guy, right? Yes, most consecutive games played ever. Yeah. And so now I'm just picturing like the intro for My Name is Earl, but My Name is Carl. Is there so a more like famous story Oregon? of a... <laughs> Frank, uh, Frank and Brooks Robinson, maybe? They'd probably be the only ones that are up there on the, on the list. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who they are, but I figured I'd ask. Because, you know... Those with baseball knowledge might... Yeah, for probably sure. go with me. But mine is very limited. Yeah, I, I, I don't know no baseball. So Bagwell got this match because him and his tag team partner Scotty Riggs had a coin toss on WCW Saturday Night, and Bagwell won. So he got the the chance at the ring. I feel like it's been a while since he's been on a pay per view, so I'm sure he's happy for the extra pay. So in that's... fact, the last time we saw him was at World War Three, uh-huh. episode one seventy three. <laughs> So the uh, battle bull ring is now so important that the opponent to a coin for it. yeah that's that's how your opponent is decided. Well, both just, Scotty hey, and Mar- Scotty and Marcus were both like ah, I'm gonna get the ring, and they were like okay, we'll flip a coin. Um, you know see what? Who gets the match? You know what's exciting though is that it's not zebra man. What's the guy? What was he's had some booty man? So it's, it's not booty man or Jim Duggan, which is. Typically, what true. would normally be on a WCW pay per view right true. here. So I'll take Bagwell over either of those guys. Very true. So Bagwell runs into the ring, causing DDP to bail out to the floor, but jumps back in to attack as Marcus Alexander Bagwell disrobes and sends him to the floor. Page with clubbing forearms back on the apron, but then Bagwell yanks him over the ropes to the floor, where Marcus sends DDP into a guardrail and into the front row. They make their way back into the ring where Bagwell hits a crossbody for a two count. Then begins to work the arm of Paige until he can escape with a back elbow and starts to run the ropes. Only for Marcus to hit a leaping forearm to take DDP down. Bagwell goes back to work on the arm and Paige escapes momentarily. Only to be knocked backwards where he gets tangled up in the ropes. So Marcus drop kicks DDP out to the floor. And Bagwell falls out with a slingshot plancha before throwing Paige back in the ring and heading to the top rope. Only for DDP to bump the rope, causing Marcus to fall off and crotch himself. Paige now takes control with backbreakers and an ab stretch with leverage until the ref catches him. DDP then delivers a pancake for a near fall before going for a punt kick. Only for Bagwell to avoid and Marcus fires up with several atomic drops and clotheslines for a two-count. But Page nails a back elbow to a charging Bagwell, makes a cover with his feet on the ropes for a near fall. DDP then whips Marcus to the ropes, and he goes for a tilt-a-whirl something, only for Bagwell to reverse it into a head scissors. The old tilt-a-whirl something. (laughs) Marcus then attempts a fisherman suplex, but he's blocked by Page grabbing the ropes, allowing him to kick Bagwell away before nailing the diamond cutter 
for the pen and, and the, the win. And a couple fun notes. You you kind of actually led us into this, where you were like surprised that it was Marcus Alexander Bagwell. They originally wanted Great Muda, mm. but New Japan didn't want him to lose, so they wouldn't send him over. I mean, there's no reason he should be losing to DDP. Yeah. So then they switched to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, <gasps> but he didn't want to lose. Oh, who would have who guessed that Hacksaw didn't want to lose? So they went with Bagwell. Well, I think we probably got a better match for it. I think so, too. I, yeah. Like I said, I was glad, but my, big, my big thing was... I'm glad that it's not Booty Man or um, or Duggan. So. Booty Man would have taken the loss, though. Yes. We've had <laughs> enough of him. I do love Tony Schiavone. like, it's like, oh, people love, love Marcus Bagwell. And you can hear people yelling slurs at Bagwell. Like, at the, like, and it's like, Tony, you are ringside, right? <laughs> like, you, you can't completely lie here. Those people shouldn't say those things, but they also aren't fans. No. So we go to the locker room and Mean Gene's there with Jimmy Hart and the Giant. And Oakland says the million dollar question is about Jimmy's allegiances. But that he's a man in the middle between Luger and the Giant. And Hart answers that everyone's worried about it, but he isn't. Why, so he why? doesn't really answer the question. Yeah, it's like, why would he be worried about it if he's, you know, if he's pulling one over on somebody, all he has to do is keep his mouth shut. Gene then turns to the giant to ask about the torture rack, with the big man whispering and then shouting about choke slamming Lex. He claims he beat Hogan, Sting, and Savage, and will do it again anywhere he wants. And the giant calls the rack a fantasy, and the choke slam is all Lex will know. And Mean Gene says the choke slam will motivate Luger, with the giant chiming in that it means he has a brain. But it's a small one. Uh, the giant, such a, such a promo. Yeah. <laughs> Bless his heart, or something like that. Yeah, I always feel bad for Lex because it's like they're just never—they're never gonna do it. They didn't do it in the WWE. He had, you know, it's just he's just, he just always feels like a guy they try but never never follow in through it. Maybe I mean, it's, maybe it's him. Yeah, he had his maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> yeah, he had his shot early in his career, but it seems like later through his career, it's just like the guy still looks incredible, but you're not he's just not special anymore. Love you, Lex, but it's kind of the vibe. So we go to our fourth match: Ray Mysterio Jr. Hey, versus Dean Malenko hey. for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, and this was Ray's WCW debut. And was such a special occasion. None other than Mike Tanay joins commentary for the match. I love when they bring Mike Tanay. It's a classic already. So the two trade holds and athletic reversals to start until Mysterio nails a spinning arm drag that sends Dean out to the Thordery group. And they say that this is their first meeting, but did Ray and Dean have an ECW match? I actually looked this up and... I do not think that they ever had a match okay. in ECW or in Japan. Okay, I was just curious because we there was a time period pretty recently in ECW where a lot they of these guys were like having matches with each other, and I was just like, was there a Ray Dean match? And I 
wasn't wasn't sure, so I had to ask because they said it was their first meeting, which could just mean. But I was like, there's a pretty good chance they had an ECW one. Malenko makes his way back to the apron where the two fight over a turnbuckle smash, which Ray wins, followed by a springboard dropkick to send Dean back down to the concourse. Back in the ring, they fight through a knuckle lock with more athletic reversals until Malenko catapults Mysterio to the floor, which Dean attempts to follow out with a baseball slide, only for Ray to avoid. They head into the ring where Malenko takes control by working Mysterio's arm with kicks, holds, and slams. But Ray begins to fire up with another springboard dropkick. He goes for a hurricanrana, only for Dean to shove him off before clotheslining him down to the mat for a two-count. Malenko goes back to work on the arm with more strikes, holds, and a hammerlock northern light suplex for a near fall. Mysterio sent to the ropes where he springboards with a flip back over Dean. Follows with a drop kick, but he can't capitalize. So Malenko jumps right back on the arm before going into a Romero special and dropping Ray into a bridge for a two count. Dean continues showing off the 1,000 holds and a back suplex for a near fall. Follows it up with a butterfly suplex for a two count. Mysterio finally escapes when the momentum on a whip sends Malenko out to the floor. But Dean makes it back to the apron, only to be dropped back down by a baseball slide, followed by a springboard somersault plancha. Back in the ring, Ray keeps up the attack with a springboard dropkick for a near fall, and the two men then go through athletic reversals of a powerbomb into pin attempts by both men for a two count. And Mysterio's out on the apron, and he leaps back in with a springboard hurricanrana for the pin, and no, Malenko kicks out. They then fight their way to the top rope, where Ray delivers a super Frankensteiner, followed by Mysterio reversing a tilt-a-whirl into a body press for a near fall. Ray then leaps onto the shoulders of Dean for another rana, but it's reversed into a powerbomb, allowing Malenko to make the cover with his feet on the ropes for the pin and And the the win. So Malenko retains. It's great shit, pal. It's a great showing. Yep. uh, Nice old debut there, Mr. Mysterio. Mm -hmm. I love Mike Tanay just, you know, just having the facts. He's like the Chris Charlton of the 90s. But he... uh, Maybe Chris Charlton's the Mike, Mike Tanay of the 2020. Yeah, that could be. It's probably more correct. We got to give Mike <laughs> Tanay his uh, his flowers. But he it lets us know in the show that on Thursday night, Eddie Guerrero beat Jushin Liger for the Super J Cup, which we watched recently. Yeah. But it's just you know it's fun to see how close some of these shows are together because like you know I don't remember all the dates for everything. It's like that was just the other night. We go to the back, and Mean Gene is there with Lex Luger. And Lex apologizes for the promo he's about to cut. And that he's doing it out of respect for WCW. But he's not all there mentally. He's not going to scream and shout, but does say the giant has changed the face of WCW forever. And Luger continues that there's never been a maneuver like the chokeslam. And he takes pride in his accomplishments. But then he seems to lose his train of thought. But Lex recovers to say he will capitalize on the Giants' mistakes and he will have another belt for his shoulder after tonight. Hmm. First Sting, then Lex. 
What's going on with those two? They're both fumbling during their promos. Maybe they got a bad batch or something. <laughs> they get their teleprompter back. Maybe they yeah. got a good batch. Yeah, maybe they're sh- sharing the same bag. So we go to our fifth match. Big Bubba Rogers with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenta. He's not a shark. So the story behind this match is that Big Bubba had shaved half of the shark's head. But Tenta refused to shave the rest to give him a reminder of what happened. That'll teach him. While also dropping the shark gimmick, saying, I'm not a fish. I'm a man. (laughs) That's no fish. That's a man, baby. Big Bubba's got a much better look here. (laughs) Just putting that out there. He's got that... Rolled out of the trailer park trash look that you always knew he had in him. (laughs) Hey, anything's better than the Guardian. (laughs) The Guardian or the bodyguard or the police officer. This one he looks like a... a, Bounty hunter. Yeah, like a big guy that might kick your ass. Which a lot of... Sometimes he's... He always looks... He's very big, but he's a lot of... He always kind of looks dumpy, but here he kind of looks more like an ass kicker. I was just like, you know what? It's hard to... It's hard to find a good look for this... uh, you know, ass kicker look to him, like potato sack of a man. But yeah, exactly. But this look looks like he might not take your shit and would, yeah, yeah, and punch your lights. It's like up. the guy that'd be sitting at a you know table in the back at the oh, what the hell was that place called in Police Academy? Blue Oyster Bar. Oh yeah, he stands up sitting and in the he, shadows. Yeah, and the, of course the camera is really low, so he looks <laughs> even bigger. So Rogers and Hart come out with a chunk of John's hair, cutting at it with scissors. While Tinta would enter with absolutely no music, Boss move. in the aisle and beginning to brawl. Big Bubba rolls John into the ring and heads up top, only for Tinta to knock him off and down to the floor. John would roll out to toss Rogers into the steel steps before they head back into the ring where Tinta keeps up the attack in the corner with butt splashes. John gets caught with a right hand on a charge into a corner followed by Big Bubba grabbing a foreign object from his pocket to continue with loaded punches. And he finally passes it off to Hart on the outside before the ref can question him, allowing him to continue the punishment with an enziguri and several guillotine body presses across the second rope. Rogers then drops down to the floor to nail an uppercut for a two-count as the ref catches his leg on the ropes. As Big Bubba argues with Nick Patrick, Tinta makes it back to his feet to attack from behind. But when he goes for a body slam, the weight is too much, and Big Bubba falls on top of him for a near fall. The two trade strikes until a reversed whip sends John to the corner, where Rogers drops down to the floor and trips up Tinta to ram his leg into the ring post. Posted. Big Bubba hits multiple knee drops on the leg before having his whip reversed into a corner. But he does avoid a charging John, allowing Rogers to nail a back suplex. Big Bubba then climbs up top, but Tinta catches and drops Rogers with a power slam for the pin and, and the win. You should have covered him, Big Bubba. You can't just leave a man laying there. All while Jimmy was on the apron celebrating and not paying attention. Ha ha. Post-match, John grabs Hart and takes the scissors and threatens to cut his hair. When Big Bubba would then attempt to attack from behind, only for Tinta to move, so Rogers would run into Jimmy. John then turns and cuts off part of Big Bubba's goatee. Oh my gosh, not his bad goatee. 
sending Rogers retreating while holding the goatee to hide the damage. So he didn't cut his beard. He just put his hand over his face. Yeah, he may get <laughs> like, yeah, he just gave him a trim. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's why he put his hand over his face. Like, like, like yeah, see, I can't let everybody know. Every two weeks to, to acknowledge yeah. it, cut my goatee. Yeah. Like, and then you've got all... So why don't you just let him actually cut it? Or yeah. maybe do something else. It's not that strong of an angle. You got the announced. I mean, it's not like Big Bubba He just Rogers cut off Bubba's beard. Yeah. Cut Jimmy's hair. Jimmy's always got a lot of hair. Mm-hmm. Jimmy's still got a lot of hair. Yeah, he does. He's like fucking 80. Still looks fucking <laughs> 60. He looked like he was 60 when he was 40, and he looks like he was 60 when he was 80. That's not too bad. So we go to the back. Mean Jeans there with Steve McMichael, Kevin Green, and their wives. And Oakland calls Mrs. Green Terry, which she gives him the side eye for because it's Tara. Gene also says Savage is pacing outside before asking Mongo about the game plan. And Steve says he doesn't care about that and they're coming to get Flair and Anderson. While Kevin yells, he's coming hard and heavy. Bet you are, buddy. (laughs) There's nothing better than like... That's why Terry keeps you around. (laughs) (laughs) And football calls that are all vaguely sexual. They always make me laugh. Granted, this is a wrestling show, but you get the idea. This sounds like sounds like a someone getting away with uh, some double entendre on a football match. Macho Man finally enters the room and says, "The smell of winning is in the air, and a little perfume too." And they will knock the horseman into the end zone. Technically, wouldn't that mean that the horseman score? Yeah. Try not to maybe think about a, it too maybe much. Maybe it's a safety. So we go to our sixth <laughs> match. The Crippler, Chris Benoit, versus the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart in a Falls Count Anywhere match. And the fight begins in the aisleway, making their way into the crowd and up to the concourse of the building, slamming each other's heads into chairs, steps, and walls. The fight continues into a men's bathroom, where Sullivan slams a stall door into the Crippler's head multiple times. As security holds back fans. ECW much? The Taskmaster nails a double stomp and attempts to give Benoit a swirly. But the Crippler blocks and returns the stall door favor. And Dusty starts yelling about a lady being in the men's bathroom. She just stopped off. Said I gotta get some relief, baby. <laughs> yeah. I love Dusty being so surprised <laughs> that there's a lady in there. It's like... Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. There's not. It's not like anybody's actually using the restroom right now. Nope. Line for the ladies was too long. I mean, the energy is pretty palpable because people are like, nobody gives a shit. But like everyone's right in there. People are pushing people out of the way. The security is not doing as good of a job as they probably, or their job's a little harder than they probably would have liked it to be. Sullivan recovers to hit Benoit with a bag of toilet paper and a trash can. Before the Crippler yanks Taskmaster into a wall, allowing him to use the trash can as well, before they brawl their way back into the arena, where Sullivan sends Benoit tumbling down the steps several times. That was painful. Yeah, they're for this kind of thing, it, this is one of the maybe better looking ones. Absolutely. Yeah. They're really they're really laying it in and uh, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like you know, we like the Roddy Piper, Goldust, some of that stuff, but that feels a lot more 
playing. This feels more organic. Yes. Taskmaster drops the crippler onto the guardrail as they make it back to ringside, followed by slamming his head into the steel steps and throwing a chair at him. Benoit retaliates by dropping Sullivan on a guardrail and throwing him into the crowd, before bringing out a table and dropping it onto the Taskmaster as he makes his way back in. The crippler then leans the table on the ropes in the ring, but Benoit has his whip reversed, sending him into the table. But it doesn't break. Sullivan then charges, only for the crippler to move, but the table still doesn't break. (laughs) Benoit then sets the table up across the top rope, charges at the Taskmaster who backbody drops the crippler atop the table. And Sullivan climbs up and they fight on top when Benoit would deliver a superplex off of the table for the pin and And the win. win. And the crowd goes wild. They were way into this. And I get why the Attitude Era went so far. Because, I mean, look at their reaction to this. Granted, these guys are doing it better than a lot of people go on to do it. But yes. it's getting genuine reactions from people. Post-match, the Kevin cri- Sullivan is getting genuine reactions from people, everybody. <laughs> Post-match, the Crippler continues to attack the Taskmaster. So Jimmy Hart goes running, but stops when he sees Arn Anderson coming to the ring. Double A jumps in the ring and he pulls Benoit off of Sullivan, telling him to chill out, but then turns and starts attacking the Taskmaster himself. Ah, what a what a little swerve. I was like, what, what? What are we doing here? The horsemen go to town on Sullivan with the crowd going crazy until the Dungeon of Doom members run down to chase them from the ring. And as Arn and Crippler walk to the back, they wave the four fingers while the dungeon checks on the Taskmaster. Yep, I love Tony says uh, that I want everyone who thinks they can come here and declare war to look at this one. <laughs> it's like, okay. The war that nobody wanted. He's teeing, teeing, yeah, <laughs> teeing it up, you know. Some, some decent... Uh, Tony's pretty meat and potatoes, but you've got to give him your fla- his flowers when, you know, when they bloom. So we go to the back, Mean Gene is there with Woman and Miss Elizabeth when the horsemen join them in the locker room. And Benoit yells, Righteousness! While Anderson says, The wannabes are out of there, and the crippler has earned his spot and his stripes. The enforcer continues by telling Sullivan that they are at war, so bring on the troops. Benoit then chimes in that he warned the taskmaster not to mess with the horsemen, and he put him in his place. Ogerlin then speaks to Flair, who tells Mongo to look at his all-pro team. Mean Gene then also talks to coach Bobby Heenan, saying he's scared. But the brain claims he's not scared of Macho Man. That it's not going to happen. It's not going ha- to ha- happen to me. Nature Boy then has another line of wisdom to share. There's a lot of things Macho Man would like to do that he can't do anymore. Right, Liz? He also says house instead of horse at one point. <laughs> he's he's in that same same bag as uh, the Stinger and Luger. It's a big old party bag. So we go to our seventh match. Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves. Jabs. Versus Sting. And the Stinger starts laying it in. Sending Lord Steven to the floor where Sting tosses him into the guardrail and backdrops him down to the mat 
before returning to the ring. Can I point something out? I love that Sting is wearing rainbow scorpion pants after cutting a gay panic promo. Yep. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> like, what were you thinking? You have, you have other gear. Maybe he felt bad about the promo. I don't know. <laughs> I just thought I was like, it's like, ah. Oh. You know, it's just, yeah, the scales of justice were, just, uh, just were evened out. <laughs> were evened out this match. Rio responds with an eye poke and uppercuts for a two count, only for the Stinger to come back with arm drags, forcing Lord Steven out to the floor to regroup and argue with fans. When he returns, Regal offers a handshake. Pinky's out. But Sting rejects him and intimidates him, only for Lord Steven to take the fight to the mat, controlling with holds, strikes, and cheap shots. Regal drop kicks the Stinger in the ear for a near fall. Continues the attack with elbows, knees, and more uppercuts before going back to more various submission holds on the arm. The comebacks are continuously fended off by Lord Steven until Sting reverses a whip, nailing multiple drop kicks for a two count. The Stinger then heads up top, only for Regal to meet him there and deliver a super butterfly suplex for a near fall. Lord Steven then applies the Regal Stretch, which is an STF. Made famous by Eric Watts. <laughs> but he releases it when Sting doesn't submit. And the Stinger makes it back to his feet and begins to just absorb the strikes from Lord Steven. Firing up with right hands, goes for the Stinger Splash, only for Regal to get his knees up in the corner. Lord Steven then charges at Sting, who backdrops him and applies the Scorpion Deathlock. For the submission and, and the win. win. We then get a commercial for Bash at the Beach, where we see a man adrift at sea when he discovers an island full of women, but it's all a mirage. And the ladies tell him to get real before the narrator tells us this year's Bash will be beachy. <laughs> it was a beachy keen, yeah. y'all. Nice to see uh, Sting and Regal also doing the right thing. Babyface works from underneath, gets better of the heel with the submission after, you know, he can't quite break Sting down. Also, is this the, or was it the last show where Sting dyed his hair black? Or is this the first one? Cause this is the one where it's, I mean, he's had it transitioning mm-hmm. over the last several months of shows. But this is the one where, like, it it looks like any trace of blonde is finally is gone. gone. I mean, I miss this the yeah. guile buzz cut. Maybe that's where our fun-loving Sting went, Aww. replaced by a a dark-haired uh, hate monger, Gatred. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to our eighth match: Nature Boy Ric Flair and Arn Anderson with Miss Elizabeth Woman and coach Bobby Heenan versus Steve, Mongo McMichael, and Kevin Green with Deborah McMichael, Tara Green, and coach Macho Man Randy Savage. I love that they're billed as the the legends of of gridiron. It's fun. And Michael Buffer makes those introductions. So let's get ready to hut hut! Mongo and Green do some football drills in the ring to hype themselves up. Aw, where's Hacksaw? And we have, there's a sign on a large bedsheet behind them in the crowd that says, Mongo sucks. 
as the action gets going with Double A and McMichael trading arm wrenches and trips. It is a huge sign. It's like, damn, you guys mean it. Mongo then challenges the enforcer to a three-point stance-off, with the football player getting the upper hand. But the next time, Arn sidesteps and trips up McMichael, charging in where Mongo gets a boot up, only for Anderson to be too smart for that. So Mongo leaps off the second rope with a shoulder block. Looks good, too. The two men lock up again with double A hitting a knee lift and a clubbing forearm before turning to knock Green off the apron with a left hand. But the All-Pros turn the tide with a big boot and double-team stops, sending the Enforcer rolling out to the floor, where Macho Man gets a shot in as well. The Horsemen regroup before returning to the ring, where Kevin Green tries to psych them out doing crazy push-ups and other drills. But Flair comes in to style and profile, until Green hits several shoulder tackles on both Horsemen, sending the Nature Boy storming down the aisle, only for Savage to bring him back into the ring. Green then hits a back body drop, multiple leaping clotheslines. Mongo comes in to keep Nate from tagging out, and then knocks him down several times as Flair goes for shoulder blocks, only to walk into a boot to the gut. Michael takes some chops and right hands, but he no-sells them, and fires up with chops of his own, a hip toss, and a back body drop. But the Nature Boy uses an eye poke to slow the momentum, before heading to the top rope where Mongo press slams him off to the mat. McMichael then applies the figure four, so Arn runs in, only for Green to do the same, nailing a shoulder tackle and applying a figure four to him as well. Oh my god, double figure fours. But Mongo gets too close to the ropes, allowing Woman to rake his eyes, causing him to release the hold. And the wives begin to complain, so Miss Elizabeth and Woman chase them to the back. While back inside the ring, the horsemen have taken control with a low blow and some double teaming on McMichael. Nate tosses Mongo out to the floor where Anderson can continue the punishment until Macho Man makes it over to run him off. Before helping McMichael up to the apron where Flair knocks him back off using the ropes, allowing the brain to get a shot in as well. The Nature Boy then drags Mongo back into the ring and starts chopping away which wakes up McMichael, who fires up with a choke, only to have Nate find the uprights. That's a lot wow. Flair with the running knee drop, and he brings in double A to keep up the attack with chokes, a double axe handle, before the horsemen team up for a double vertical suplex. Mongo is sent to a corner, but he fires up by charging out with a clothesline, but he cannot capitalize. The enforcer tries for a big roundhouse left, only for McMichael to duck an atomic drop Arn right into the Nature Boy, causing a flare flop, while also allowing Mongo to make the crawl to this corner for the hot tag. Green cleans house with chop blocks and body slams, delivers a back body drop and a power slam to Nate. Kevin then tosses the Nature Boy to a corner for a flare flip out to the apron, where he ends up walking into a big boot from McMichael. Man, on the apron. what a great fucking spot. Looked, looked good. Green then brings Nate back in the hard way, but Anderson jumps in the ring to, to clip Kevin's knee, allowing the horseman to get back on the offense, working over the leg, including Flair with a shinbreaker and locking on the figure four with leverage from double A. 
and Savage has had enough of it. So he runs around ringside and starts attacking the Enforcer, which brings out Benoit to attack Macho Man. All of a sudden, Woman and Miss Elizabeth return with Deborah in tow and dressed instead of the football jacket that she was wearing earlier, but in a evening gown like the other ladies. Uh-oh. And a nice pink, a nice new pink dress. Yep. Deborah approaches her husband with a briefcase, which Mongo opens to find money and a horseman t-shirt. And Green is calling out for help, but Michael just clocks him with the briefcase, <laughs> allowing Flair to make the cover for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. Post-match, Savage jumps in the ring to attack the nature boy, but Mongo helps the horseman put a stop to Macho Man, holding him while Nate hits Savage with the briefcase. And the horsemen are just stomping away on Macho Man while McMichael puts the horseman's shirt on before shaking Flair and Heenan's hand. Tony then says Mongo sold his soul for the money. As Dusty says, this rots his stomach <laughs> now that McMichael is the fourth horseman. A solid match and a good angle. It's just a shame that Mongo McMichael can claim to be a horseman. Yep. Because like outside of that, I think all this was done really well. I think both these guys did a great job considering that they're not wrestlers. But they are athletic guys. They're like, some of their stuff looked really good. Absolutely. And they're also working with two of the best to do it. So they didn't embarrass themselves. Nope. It's just a bummer that... Mongo McMichael put on the shirt. If it was... Yeah, yeah, horseman for a day, sure. <laughs> yeah, because but... the angle's great. Yeah. This is this is a wonderful pro wrestling angle. It's just like, ah, I just, you know, we want the... There's been so many horsemen that it's not a pure thing. It, this just... At this point, this is the lowest... The lowest one. But hey, you got to have one weak link and, you know, one out of four... Chris Benoit is... Great. Yeah. The other two guys, we know they're great. Yeah. The fucking yeah, legends. Yeah. Team is only as strong as your weakest Easily. link. <laughs> yeah. The horsemen are are now only Mongo strong. Yeah, Mongo's like <laughs> though like kind of the I guess you know he's the big guy. Lex was that guy at one point, but even Green Lex is better than Mongo. <laughs> yep. We go to Eric Bischoff on the stage. And mentions the recent interruptions. Hmm? Inviting the outsiders to join him, saying he knows they're in the building. Well, well, well. And Scott Hall and Kevin Nash arrive, and Eric tells them they'll get their match. So, as we all know, they've been interrupting Nitro for the last month or so, and basically wanted to, wanted to take on... WCW. Yeah, are the interruptions them in the crowd, or is it like the cut-in promo thing? Uh, they would like literally jump into the ring and like take the mic in the middle uh, in the middle yeah. of someone else's match. And yeah, the the interrupting promo thingy, the this the black and white stuff, black and white like, stuff. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not, after that's, the, that's the big yeah. reveal. Yeah. Okay, just checking. And Hall tells Nash that WCW has just fallen into their trap. Bischoff continues that the match will happen at Bash at the Beach before asking the Outsiders if they work for WWF. 
with both men saying no. They did this to appease WWF's legal department. Because they were basically being betrayed as... WWF talent. Yes. Or, yeah, being under contract to them. It says, forget about it. Forget about the past, Chico. We want to, all we want to worry about is the future. Before wanting to know who WCW will be bringing to their match, will it be the Nacho Man or the Immortal Huckster? Because the Big Mang and the Medium Sized Mang <laughs> and our surprise buddy are going to carve them up. Eric counters by not telling them who WCW will have, which pisses them off. And Scott punches Bischoff in the gut. Who are they? Followed by Nash lifting him up and putting Eric through a table with a jackknife powerbomb. Pretty gnarly. Yep. Pretty exciting. Hall finishes with the real big boys just left the building as they walk out. And medical staff make their way out to tend to Bischoff as Shivani and Rhodes call this disgusting. I know, yeah, I love uh, that Dusty Rose says to get the camera off those guys. And yeah, like they're, they're selling it. This is, this is great. Fucking, and he really does the stretcher job. Like, it, take their time with it. To the detriment of a couple of guys. Yeah. This is a, like, I don't know where else to do this on the show, but right before the heavyweight match. Damn, I'd be pissed if I was Lex Luger. And if I was the Giant, I'd still feel lucky to be there. (laughs) So we go to our ninth match. Lex Luger versus the Giant with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And Lex checks on Eric as he makes his entrance. Uh, Is he going to be alright? His music even ends before he reaches the ring because he took so long getting there. Yeah. And Michael Buffer does the introductions for this one as well. So let's get ready to be tortured. <laughs> Rack him up. Luger runs right into a big boot, allowing the giant to stomp away. But Lex comes back with right hands and clotheslines that sends the champ out to the floor, only for him to land on his feet and drag Luger out as well. The giant press slams Lex from the floor back into the ring where Luger goes back to strikes that the champ feels, but never goes down. Lex then leaps off the second rope to apply a sleeper hold, when Jimmy jumps on the apron and looks to hit Luger with his megaphone, only for Sting to run down to steal away the weapon and chase Hart to the back. I mean, how long has this story been going on? This is is good stuff. The giant finally escapes by just pulling Lex onto his shoulder and ramming him into a turnbuckle for a tree of woe, followed by more stomps. The giant then starts tossing Luger around the ring, choking him and focusing on the back with forearms and backbreakers. Lex rallies with a jawbreaker and he tries for a body slam, only for his back to give out, causing the giant to fall on top of him for a two count. Like he fell pretty much on his head, too. <laughs> the champ keeps up the attack until Luger nails a slingshot dropkick, follows it up with a clothesline and running forearms before clipping the leg of the giant to take him down to a knee. Lex is pounding on him, but the giant just shoves him away to a corner, and he charges in with a crossbody, only for Luger to move, leaving the champ atop the ropes, 
allowing Lex to attempt to put him on his shoulders for the torture rack. But Luger ends up collapsing due to the weight. So the giant picks him up for a choke slam, making the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. And then Tony says his goodbyes, and we go to credits. Yep, the crowd immediately leaves. They are all up and out. It is... I want to say that these guys did a really good job considering that the crowd had couldn't care less at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that they did... I think that they had a solid... It was a solid showing considering it was Lex Luger and the Giant. But I don't know how you come back from what just happened. I don't know if Ric Flair and fucking Ricky Steamboat could bring him back after that. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Great American Bash 1996? Pleasantly surprised. The show rules. And see, I just was just like, eh, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. It just was one of those that just for it me, was a time killer for me. No... No Huckster. Yeah. No Booty Man. No Duggan. There's like no traces of Hulk on this show, really. It feels it feels like a WCW show, and there's no horrific matches. And there's some good angles sprinkled throughout as well. But like, every, it's a solid, entertaining show. And like I said, even the Paul White, the Giant match, was good considering. Like... I, I mean, I felt bad for the guys. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I'm not saying it's horrible or terrible or anything like that. It just, it didn't inspire me. Yeah. It wasn't one then like, man, I got to watch that again. I have a thing with WCW shows where, like, I'm either really disappointed or I'm excited that I'm not disappointed. <laughs> and this definitely is excited that I'm not disappointed. So it's like, maybe it's. I mean, I really, really liked it, but maybe it's just because I've been beaten down so much. But I think that the show was really solid. Yeah, I'm just... It was just definitely solid. Growing back. I mean, yeah. I think for me, it, it had a somewhat uh, strong start, and then it was just puttered out at the end. I mean, yeah, definitely puttered out at the end. <laughs> but like I said, what are they going to do after that angle? So there are parts of WCW shows that we can usually get behind. But from match one to match nine, I think this might be the most consistently good show. Ah, Matt's with me. WCW <laughs> has put on since before Hogan showed up. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. I, like I said, I thought this was great. If, I could, if more pay-per-views were this solid, wrestling would be in a better place. I mean, we got some fun debuts. We got a star-making turn for a guy that America is just getting to know in Benoit. We're getting a mid-card match in DDP that shows you how charisma can get you to the top. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, I agree the air was let out of the bubble for the main event. And... I wish I had a balloon to to squeeze the air out of. The only way that... (laughs) That possibly isn't like that is maybe switching the main and the semi-main. Because then you have the big angle at the end of the show. Yeah. But it's just who, who knows? Who knows, really? Because like, I don't know if after the whole 
Bischoff going through the table thing with the outsiders. Like, who knows if that actually ha- if if that pops the crowd or not? Yeah. Also, like, how, how do you put that? How do you put that in at the very end of the show? Like, you can, but it's not really related to anything else. Yeah. And you got to get it in in case something goes over or whatever. Like, a lot of time, these shows when they end, they end. They got five minutes to rack the tape for a replay on pay-per-view or whatever. So, yeah, I I think, like, this is probably one of the better shows we've watched at WCW over over time. So, sorry, Shane. You're the odd man out. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I, yeah, the... It was uh, fun. Like, I would... Yeah, I mean, I don't know how often I rewatch wrestling shows, but... If to put to throw something on in the background, like this is one where, you know, you'll probably look at the TV a little more often while, while you're uh, vacuuming than some other shows. I mean, the worst match is Big Bubba versus Tenta, and it doesn't outstay its welcome. Yeah, yeah, it's short and sweet, and like the actually the dumbest thing about the entire match is that he just cuts the goatee because it's like, really. Yeah. That's how we're going to get our revenge for cutting your, yeah. half your hair. It was yeah. kind of nice to see uh, him as John Tenta. Yeah. He's a man, damn it. Yeah, it's not, it's a fish. Fish. not a fish. Although, come on, that fucking singlet is all time. All time <laughs> singlet. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we spark it up. So, what are some of the best moments of this show? The four, four horsemen angle. Was, was really great. It's just like I said, wish it could have been anybody else, but like the angle was great. Maybe if the shirt wasn't in there, maybe it was just the money and they just paid him off. But obviously, she has like the dress on, showing that like you know, she's already accepted the she's money decided. and like decided. And it's like, this is what we're doing, Steve. Yes, Deborah wears the. The, the pink dress in this family. She wears the pants. So it's like she's done wearing the pants. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, uh-huh. Yeah, the Mysterio Malenko. Hell yeah. Such that, a good match. Yeah, it was great. Those two could just butter bread, and I'd probably just be as happy watching the two of them. I mean, Malenko would figure out a thousand different ways to do it. So. <laughs> it's been fun to have, like, the, you know, the junior style matches like we're getting we got two on the last wcw show we get two here and just getting you know we'll continue to get them yeah it's great it's nice benoit taskmaster showing everyone how to do a walk and brawl a walk and brawl that is quick but intense doesn't have to say welcome and it's really good yeah the only bad spot in my opinion in that is when he hits him with the ball of paper towels from like the storage closet but bring out this trash bag of paper towel rolls but slamming his head into that door it's like ooh, yeah every good every uh door slamming i cringed a little bit every time it hit benoit's head i mean yeah anytime i see anything hit benoit's head i get a little (laughs) i get a little emotional but yeah the uh the big boy match is nice to see a big boy tag match and it's all big boys that can work that was a staple of like early WCW was tag teams, but all the tag teams were giants. Yeah. Your skyscrapers? Yes. Mm-hmm. Skyscrapers, Doom, 
Road Warriors. Road Warriors. It was just a whole bunch of uh, big boys, but those big boys are not as agile as the Steiners, nor Fire, nor Ice. No. I've already mentioned it, but I'll mention it again because it's worth mentioning again. But Scott Steiner's Sweet Mullet. <laughs> yeah. And this is the uh, time that we always give our flowers to Mike Tanay. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Because he's the best. Uh, I also love Flair's little piece of wisdom where he, about Macho Man not being able to do certain things. Oh, yeah. That was right. good. It is. That was a great line. <laughs> the, um, it was kind of sad that Bobby wasn't on commentary, but it was great to see him back in the manager's corner. Yeah. It was he like was not a manager. He was a coach. A coach. Whatever. But yeah, it was it's cool to see him back at, by the ring, but I mean, we always most of the time we love uh, Bobby on commentary. Depends on if he got a little too sauce, but he's still better than Dusty, even though I like Dusty more than some other people, as far as, you know, being behind the microphone goes. How about most disappointing Sting and Luger's promos? Yeah. Especially the Sting one, because that whole... It's like like, you're not really going anywhere with it, and it's not... Calling calling Regal a sissy, and like, it's just like, what? What, where, what are we doing here, like... Like, the point of having a promo and a feud with someone is to make each other look better. And there's nothing about that promo that helps Regal. No, no and it makes Sting just kind of look like a petty wiener. Yeah. And he's, it's like, he's, he can, I guess he could cut a promo. Like, it's a basically a heel promo. It's like, I guess he's cutting on him, but he could just cut a promo on England. But at the same time, like... That's not a babyface thing to do. But then the match, he I mean, was the babyface. It is worked. because foreigners are bad, you know. I know, but it's like fucking the UK. It's like the British are silly. coming. Yeah, it's not you know a brown guy during Desert Storm or something. Like it's just different. But I did. I mean, that match is good. The it was classic, like babyface working from underneath and eking out the win. Like, yeah. It was Great, great wrestling psychology inside of the ring. The angle is kind of whatever. But hey, I'm going to remember the match more than the angle. Well, maybe not. Because after the rainbow pants, I just couldn't help but be like, (laughs) Sting, you're showing your whole ass. And not the good one. (laughs) No. Disappointed we didn't get great Muda versus DDP. I would have loved to have seen that match. Yeah, that would have been cool. But DDP's got to win, man. I mean, they wanted they were going to put him over Muda. That's the yeah. reason New Japan wouldn't. Well, yeah, that's him. what I'm saying. It's like no, like yeah, if, if if Muda did come and you know beat DDP, that's not good either. It's better for him to beat Bagwell than to lose to Muda because Muda's not going to be here. But you know, DDP is the, basically the mid card right now. He's really eked out his fucking spot. That's when you just say, "All right, we'll put him in the match." He won't lose, but he won't win either. <laughs> DDP will just ride it until either the referee stops it or they knock each other out or something like that, and it can I'm still like, be a star building. Yeah, do you a can double, do a double count out or something. You can do a lot of different stuff, but it's one of those things, too. It's like, well, then they're going to need a second match. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like Muda does mean something in WCW. Because even... Those early Just years when people year in the battle bowl. weren't watching 
when it wasn't a when people weren't watching the show or whatever, like it was still he was still this new amazing thing that everybody mm-hmm. did like. How about best performer of the night? That's tough because everybody kind of did their job. I'm gonna give it to Kevin Green. I mean, I was really surprised by he Green. impressed me. I was I was impressed by Mongo too, but Kevin Green like that match was really I was like fuck because the show was going so well and I was like damn this could be fucking a mess and it wasn't everything yeah. everything worked and like I mean that's that's the, the thing yeah like, it was smart you surprised me and like I'm gonna give you your flowers because yeah. like totally walked into that one going this is gonna be a train wreck and <laughs> I think it was legitimately as good as it possibly could yeah. have been which is crazy to say but this was yeah they made uh granted there's a lot of people to help make this run it's not lawrence taylor and bam bam bigelow it's not like yeah. two guys it's like it's smarter for it to be a tag team situation and for you to have these managers and things so if shit goes awry you got things to cut to and things to work around or whatever and you got plenty I mean, of people like you, you said, get their spot two, loss there's somebody in your ear two of the best people to ever work this business are in that ring with them so literally and they're they you know just call it right as there. we go to find out like they're working an angle but they end up working a hot angle that gets over so they're even they got all the reason to make sure that this goes as well as possible because you get to the end of that match and nobody cares about the briefcase situation then you failed and they definitely didn't fail because I don't I don't remember hearing any booze when Mongo put the shirt on. No, people were people, were or at least booze, booze out of like ugh, yeah. Mongo. Yeah, is more booze because the horsemen are now at full strength. Yeah, it, it definitely went. It was good. It, went, it, went, it was the good kind of boo. Yeah, yeah, they got. Uh, people were still excited. It was yeah. not too long after this that they were wiped of uh, all energy. Yeah, they probably start overexposing Mongo a little bit here real soon. <laughs> that's when they all everyone goes. Oops. Oh, this is a bad idea. It's like I, like you said, you gave it to Kevin let's Green, but Mongo Mongo did a good job too. I love I mean, that. I think he did. Yeah, I love that spot uh, where Flair does the flip on the apron and he just right into the boot. The camera cut and everything of it, it was great. It's like that's good shit, pal. I mean, like I think I don't think anybody did. I think everybody did about as good a job as they. Everyone was on their A game. Maybe everybody was sharing. A real good bag. <laughs> so, Maybe yeah. they only got just a little bit mm-hmm. of what Sting and Luger got the the majority of. Well, we know Sting has always done a cocaine promo, mm-hmm. and they've never been good. How about most surprising? I wasn't. I don't rem- remember ever hearing or like knowing about the Bischoff through the table angle. So that was mine too. I like I didn't know that. Like when I think of because they're not the NWO really? yet. I didn't know that. I know plenty of other clips and stuff from you know famous NWO clips, but I don't think I ever have seen that one really replayed or talked about or I didn't remember. But yeah, it was it was great. It worked on me. I was like, oh shit! And then you know he does the stretcher job. I, mean, I was, I was like, surprised yeah. that Bischoff just took the bump. Let yeah, he really did because it wasn't even like. Uh, it was a it was off of the like ramp to a table so yeah. he did he probably took an eight foot fucking bump through a table and that table had no issue smashing into pieces Mitch!
making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Uh-oh. This week, the category is Music of the Mat. I'm gonna play a song, buzz in, who whose music I'm playing. Yeah. Correct answer gets you three points. Hmm. Here we go. Shane? Is it the smoking guns? It is the smoking oh, guns! Hey. Good job, I heard that. Three points for Shane. <laughs> Does it have words? I don't think so, but I don't know. I don't believe so. I mean... <laughs> probably not. We're less than 30 seconds in, it still hadn't hit it, so probably not. Yeah, it's yeah. it's where it's our... <laughs> yeah, that's not one, like, there's not... I feel like smoking guns are kind of like... Bagwell and WCW. It's like sometimes they're there and sometimes you don't see them for a while if you're watching pay per views. That's actually because they get hurt. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say that's actually a pretty pretty good description. Uh, there. Yeah, it's like yeah, I saw but we saw Bagwell for the first time three years ago. He's been on four pay per views. You know what I mean? That's kind of how the, oh, yeah. the guns feel. Smoking guns have been champions. I don't know, probably Two like times. six times. Okay, yeah. three times. All all <laughs> off of television. All all like on TV or from a house show. And then they. I don't think they've actually lost them at all either. They've had to vacate them all yes. three times too. Who's the Who's the man with the uh, Who's the injury prone? Billy. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Damn. That's funny because he might be the one guy that still is like. Yeah, he basically has all of his injuries then. And then yeah. And then Bart's the one that gets hurt and like has, has to like leave wrestling. Yeah. Because I mean, Billy Gunn is yep. still is bigger than he's ever been. Oh, Maybe yeah. he just got buff enough to like. <laughs> to say to like you know I don't know he's Man, huge it's crazy Mr. Ass to one generation and then daddy ass to the next generation that really if you thought about it like if somebody told you like a year and a year ago year and a half ago that you know Billy Gunn would be part of the most over thing essentially in AEW you would be like yeah yeah right, <laughs> but that's that's where we are, and that's uh, one of the great things about wrestling is, yeah. you know, that just shows much like it was back then. The click is is still running, the show, literally in one organization, <laughs> and you know, one of the hottest attractions in another one. Next week, Hardcore Heaven nineteen ninety six. Just like Heaven, Hardcore Heaven, Hardcore. Hmm. So we're going back to Philly, eh? We are going back to Philly. <laughs> we go back to Philly. <laughs> Pretty much every other every week. other damn week. Yep. ECW. I don't know if like the rent's high or what, but they have, they have so many shows. I think they just put a bunch of them on tape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, well, we're only worth shooting one room. We might as well take gotta, everything. Got to pay the guys something. So let's put together this little video package to sell to people. So the music from this week's show is the Great American Bash opening and the Giant won our main event, so we play Dungeon of Doom by Jimmy Hart. And if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Be a pal. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. If you've ever been to Philly <laughs> and tried something that... 
I've not mentioned ever in the 205 episodes of our little podcast here. Send us some uh, suggestions, some food. You know, drinks. we haven't haven't done one in a while, but I think maybe next time we get like an EZW show, it's like you know a hardcore heaven, a, a good one. I should just make us cheesesteaks, because we can make a cheesesteak better than any ones we've had. We haven't had a cheesesteak. We haven't had one in a while, so we got to make our own sometime. And I think that uh, we could, we could do it right. Okay. Might have to do that very soon. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, you know. Maybe not next week. Take okay. a, take a little bit of a little bit off of Shane's shoulders for a change. Danny, I was kind of hoping you're just gonna like a bring of cheesesteaks. <laughs> oh well, I mean, I was just thinking. I was just thinking out loud. We can cut it. I could surprise you. Maybe yeah. I won't bring a cheese. Maybe I won't make cheesesteaks. <laughs> the, 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 the turn. <laughs> but if you have any of those things, you can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Slide into those DMs later.